You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. I feel like I'm talking to two Brackens right now. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> I've actually heard that dad and, uh, and Killian, you know, guys, you know, hey, you know, Bracken or Killian, I'll turn around. They're like, oh, no, that's not you. I said, no, they're, they're younger and better looking. I don't even get recognized as Bracken. I only get recognized as Killian. Yeah. That's hilarious. Do you oh, do you have hair on your head, Cole, or do you? Yeah, a little bit. I shave it, but I shave it because of uh, you know it's a little thin in the back nowadays. So I, I always mm. told myself at that point, hey, there's no need, just own it and just go with That's it. That's exactly right. I just can't relate to either of you on any level right now with this. Just look at this mop. <laughs> I'm a little envious, but hey, it saves on money in times like this. I I can cut it myself. I don't have to worry about it. That's right. Got it figured out. So That's you're good. in full fatigues right now, Cole. How come you're in full fatigue right now? Yeah, so, you know, I'm active duty. Um, I just took a break from uh, work and I just worked through lunch. And normally I'll get a workout at lunch, but I told the guys, hey, I got a, I got a hot appointment that I got to go uh, take care of. So I ran to the house and uh, knocked this out because this to me is a priority. Well, that's uh, that's awesome. We appreciate you taking time from your workout schedule then. No, it's all good. I can get it in tonight. Yeah, there's always time. You, you just got to make it work. That's do you exactly right. do you work a normal like a normal in quotes schedule right now? Yeah, you know, because now I'm I'm what you consider a staff level officer. You know, if I was still in a tactical operational, um, yeah, there there is no such thing as normal. It's 24 hours, you know, out in the field uh, doing uh, you know combat type missions or uh, you know ranges or whatever the case may be. But now uh, at the headquarters at a very four star level command. Yeah, pretty regular normally, you know, from seven in the morning till till you're done, you know, seventeen or five o'clock, five thirty, uh, six o'clock at night. But yeah, that's pretty regular, Monday through Friday. Mm. It's a long day. Yeah, but it's it's nice to break it up at lunch and uh, take that lunch break and get a you know workout in, so you can really help uh, maximize your time because that way, it's, yeah, I can get one in the morning or at lunch, and then another one in the evening, you know, depending on where I'm training schedule. So, yeah, it's, it's it works, and you know, you get really paid to be fit. You know, it's it's a requirement. Uh, so that's kind of nice. Uh, no one's going to look at you funny when uh, you're walking out the door to get a workout. Now, is this like, if I'm not mistaken, do you can you get allotted up to like an hour or two hours of paid workout time per day when you're active military? I know some setups are like that. Well, it's a little different because when you're active, you know, you're paid 24 hours a day anyway. Right, right. So it's just really a requirement. It's up to you at a four-star command to manage that you best. They're going to tell you, hey, Here's our expectation. You know, this is the fitness level you need to be at based on you know military standards of a fitness test, and it's up to you to to maintain that. So you you got to take personal ownership because at a four star command, you don't really have the lower ranking uh, individuals who really need that. You know, at a tactical level unit where you know it's very regimented. You know, it's PT at six fifteen in the morning till you know seven thirty, then go shower, then come to chow, and then you know next formation for duty. So uh, it's really incumbent upon you. Now, civilians that do work in the headquarters, they are allotted up to three hours paid uh, a, a week. So up three hours, they can break it up 45 minutes, you know, four days, however they want to do it. But that, that is paid fitness time. That's interesting. And where are you located right now? Yeah, Tampa, Florida. Beautiful Tampa, Florida. Oh, 
So you have mountains and nice, cool, crisp climate to work out in. That's right. Yeah, no excuses. And I think uh, the humidity past few days with the heat index, uh, anywhere from 101 to 104 the past couple weeks. Yeah, yeah, no mountains, but uh, you make it work. There's you know, definitely ways around. I know you all touched upon that quite a bit uh, in some of y'all's podcasts. And yeah, I'm a firm believer, firm believer in humidity is poor man's altitude. That is what they say, isn't it? Yeah. Now, this is actually something we do want to get into. We want to get into yeah. how you work around your mountains, how you train, how you handle all that, but not right at this moment, do we? Care? <laughs> no, no, we like to, uh, we like to step back in time. And we have a, we have a reason we reached out to you very specifically, Cole, don't we, Bracken? Yeah. Uh, a, a ton of people ask for you. Oh, wow. And B, I feel like you embody the, I don't want to say every man because I'd say you're uncommon among every man, but you embody the working, full-time working, full-time training, successful age group athlete. Okay. Uh, maybe, maybe more than anyone else because you have a demanding job you can't slack off from and you have you have things outside of just racing that matter, yet you still show up on race day and generally outperform everyone else who's in any sort of situation near yours. And and we're curious about that. Yeah. We've had a lot of pros on and a lot of people who are semi-pro that get to script their day around their workouts. And they get to put, you know, we've had, you know, Faye was on talking about when she goes into Faye mode, all her relationships suffer and her she left her job because she didn't want that stress. And you have the opposite where you can't go into Faye mode. You have to stay in on point mode and you fit your workouts in as you can. So that, that that's intriguing to us. And I think it speaks to, there's nothing wrong with having fame mode as a pro athlete, but your mode speaks to the general audience more, which is, you know, the vast majority of our listeners. Yeah. I think, you know, the first thing that's for me, you know, it's gotta be that motivation. You know, I don't train to race. Racing is what gives me focus for my training. So I think that's that's one thing that's important. You know, it's a lifestyle. Uh, so while I love Spartaning, I love what it uh, enables me to do. Um, the lifestyle is a f- lifestyle of fitness. Uh, one, yeah, obviously it's part of my occupation. You have to be physically fit and ready because who knows when it's going to be your time to deploy, to move out. And, and it's too late at that point to get in deployment shape, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. So one, I've always taken that as a personal responsibility um, and really owned, uh, you know, what it means to, you know, be a, a soldier, meaning I need to be as physically fit and prepared uh, at all times. So fitness from early on has always been a lifestyle. Now, when you layer that in with, with racing, yeah, you know, while I'm here at this job, you know, I move every two and a half to three years to another job. And, you know, early next year, I'm moving somewhere else. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll have the Luckily, uh, have some terrain and some elevation at my disposal, but you know I don't use that excuse. So, you know, uh, with the military, you got to make it work. Or really, I think it's it's any job. I try to reduce or limit excuses the best I can, uh, mm-hmm. because as soon as you have excuses in your daily life, um, that's going to get in your way. So those friction points are the excuses. And one of the ways that I that helped that just because I have a job that's while. It's semi-regular. There are times it's going to pull me away on the weekends or late at nights. So when that gym is closed or I don't want to drive to the gym, I invested. I said, you know, if fitness is a way of life and a lifestyle, I need to invest in that. So with some easy uh, equipment, you know, I built a garage gym and it's a priority for me. Wherever I go needs to have a a garage. That way I can Mm -hmm. throw, you know, know, pull-ups, bars, ring dips, sandbags, box jumps, kettlebells, everything that you would need to do to get a workout in to reduce 
those excuses you have in daily life that, hey, I just can't get it in because I'm too tired, the gym's too far away, or it's too close, I can get in. Whether it's going to be at four in the morning, it's a sacrifice, but it's dedication, or lunch or late at night in the evening. Um, you just got to work around it. Um, and I think critical to that is just having a, a plan. Um, everything I do is with purpose. Um, I'm training with purpose and with consistency. And that's, I need that race. And that's where racing and Spartan race specifically helped me, you know, focus my, what my training, uh, you know, plan is going to be. What is that purpose? Um, and, you, you know, I, I think uh, you've y'all talked about it before is I'm looking at that calendar when it, I can't wait. I'm chomping at the bit in January or whenever December or when the actual race schedule is released. So I can start mapping it out and say, hey, here are my A races. Here are my B races. I'm going to race a lot. Um, because I just love to compete. And I don't know when that competition is going to go away. I could be deployed. Uh, COVID happens. I'm getting older. Um, so this is a finite opportunity I want to take and make the most of it. So um, it's having a plan and uh, and then putting that on the calendar and working towards that plan. You know, a, a smart man or a smart athlete, I think one of the most important things they can do is figure out what their barriers to success are and then have a plan to combat those barriers to success. You speaking about like, I'm going to have a home gym because my hours are crazy and I don't want to use my schedule as an excuse. Coming up with ways to, it's not like, oh, poor me, I have a problem and I can't solve it. It is, I know this is a barrier for me, so I'm just not going to, I'm not going to wave my hands in the air and say, oh, sorry for myself. I'm going to, I'm going to tackle it. So I kind of like that philosophy. That's actually something I really pound into my athletes is like, what are your barriers to success? How do we fix them? Sounds like you're ahead of the game there. Yeah, you know, and while some people, I think Spartan gives them that opportunity to realize this in life in the military is full of barriers. You know, uh, your best laid plans go to hell as soon as that uh, first shot, you know, the enemy takes the first shot. So, you know, always having, you know, a backup plan, a plan to the plan. Um, it, everything we do is, is really about planning. And that really is easy when I start looking at Spartan race, well, just fitness in general um, is, is backwards planning and, uh, you know, sticking to that, creating those routines um, and, and just get it done. It's got to be that mindset. How's that backwards planning going for you with the race season going to shit, Cole? Well, you, you know, I, I, there's three people, I think, right now during this situation. They, they're getting in the best shape of their lives right now. Um, you know, maybe their, their work environment uh, allows them to. There's two that are just taking a, a big break. And I think there's me. I'm really maintaining a good, strong fitness base, um, much like I would on an off-season. Because again, it's a lifestyle. Just because there's no races doesn't mean I'm not going to work out and I'm not going to do those functional fitness activities and workouts that translate well to Spartan. Um, so I I can easily, as soon as we know we have a race, whether it's West Virginia, which really we're in that seven week block, I'm already now was already prepared, and all I have to do is shift that eight week, that six week block over to West Virginia. Um, so I was just, you know, really waiting for that green light. Um, the only difference is now I know it's going to be mountain. So I now have to, you know, train with purpose and work, you know, that ability and that, that training technique to, to prepare me for West Virginia or Utah. Which, which one? Well, you know, it depends. Uh, I think the environment's going to tell us, uh, if, if the situation in Utah says, Hey, guess what? Uh, we're not allowing Spartan or West Virginia. Um, the good thing, both of them are, are, Elevation, I've raced at both. Um, I think um, Utah is a new environment, but ultimately it's still, you know, going to be, you know, those climbs uh, with some some power hiking. But uh, either way, I'll, I'll be prepared, uh, whichever one is a go. If 
it's West Virginia's ago. Um, I, since I'm on the uh, East Coast, and I really love that venue. Uh, I think it has some for everybody. It's beautiful. Um, I definitely want to do West Virginia, but if West Virginia gets canceled and Utah's a go, I'll I'll change to Utah. Starting to see like there's not a mystery to your success. You're pretty confident in your approach. You seem very able to shift directions if need be because your base is pretty strong. Now, obviously, a lot of that comes from the military. Um, I'm assuming some of that is hardwired into you, but you came straight out of high school into the military. Is that correct? Yeah, I had about a uh, five-month gap from graduation. I was in Germany playing on a German soccer team, so I wanted to finish that season out. And, uh, yeah, joined in uh, yeah, January, graduated, you know, that August. And that next January was uh, you know, raising that right hand and basically yeah. – so prior to that, were, did you grow up in a military home? Would you grow up in an athletic home? Were you were you searching for direction? What what was like the beginning of Cole as the athlete and the military man? Yeah, I mean to back up, my grandmother raised me in Dallas, and, uh, so I played baseball. You know, it was extremely popular in the Dallas area. Uh, well, football as well, but uh, I gravitated towards baseball. You know, at you know literally you know five years old and pretty much played that all the way through high school. I had a unique opportunity uh, at the beginning of high school. My mother remarried to uh, a gentleman who was an active duty military and was being stationed in Germany. Um, and luckily, I, you know, I, I would like to say I had the foresight to say, man, this is a great opportunity to do this because um, it really was a ph phenomenal opportunity that I think helped shape me. And anybody who lives overseas, uh, it, it will help shape you in, in a variety of different positive ways. Um, so I jumped ship out of Dallas and uh, and, it, and joined uh, my mother and, and uh, new father in Germany and uh, yeah for high school and I finished up high school in Germany. Um, Did you have a pre-existing relationship with either of them at that point? Uh, my father, no, uh, he was adopted, so she remarried and uh, you know I was uh, you know freshman and uh, really great man and you know I just uh, hadn't really had much contact with my biological father. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was, he was in the military active duty. My mother was actually a reservist in the army. Um, but we've had, uh, you know, obviously relations growing up and I'd see her on the summer times and I, you know, I'd lived with her on and off, but for the majority my grandmother raised me. So you, you jumped from living for the majority of the time with your grandmother to living overseas with one and a half new family members. Yeah. Just right. Boom, in the, right after a freshman year of high school. Yeah, uh, right after, um, you know, I had a little, uh, you know, support my um, half brother uh, who was also living with his biological. So we were in Dallas together, but not in the same household for the most time. So we'd see each other on occasion, but now we'd be living under the same uh, roof. And we are extremely close, probably just, uh, you know, by our environment, the way you're growing up and bonded. And uh, I thought that was a phenomenal opportunity for us now to, you know, be together and, and uh, yeah, move forward as a family. And yeah, it was pretty, pretty profound opportunity. Did you fight that at all? I mean, was there any hostility there? I'm just curious towards, I don't know, the new gentleman, your father-in-law or your stepfather, or your mother, anything? Yeah. You know, I think that's a little natural, you know, you, you know, being, uh, you know, a freshman and think, you know, it all, uh, you're running the big streets in Dallas. And then all of a sudden you have this, you know, this military you know, figure in your life who's trying to create structure uh, mm -hmm. telling you how you should speak and uh, how you shouldn't speak. And he, he was right. And, uh, I, you know, there was a, a couple of times I took a swing at him and, you know, he stands probably at that time a foot higher than me. And uh, luckily my mother was there to take him off of me when he was, you know, had me in the mount and I was on my back on the ground. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, but, uh, you know, that makes you strong. You learn from that and uh, you quickly learn those boundaries in life. Now, were you on a, did you go to school on a base or were you in a German school where you were the minority? 
Now I was on uh, base early, you know, there when you're looking at the late, you know, 80, 89, 90, 91, you know, Germany had m many, uh, you know, high schools. Uh, you know, so there was multiple, that was before we started drawing down, you know, obviously okay. you know, post-Cold War. So yeah, I was on base in a yeah, American school, pretty much traveled Europe conducting sports. Did the prospect of that excite you at the time going overseas and living? I mean, just like, cause that's a lot of worldly, even just that, that one move is a lot of worldly experience for a kid who's 14 or 15 years old. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, I always thought, I think back every once in a while, like, you know, what made me actually make that choice? You know, what was it? But it, it, it really, I don't even remember second guessing it. It just seemed uh, like a, a, a great opportunity. Um, I think a little of me was you know, sad to leave those friends and those relationships and those bonds that I grew for so long and you know, cultivated there in Dallas. Um, but uh, I think just you know, that, that opportunity to live with uh, you know, my mother, you know, a father and, and my brother, um, I think was a little stronger in the calling and you know, whatever it was that helped me make that decision, thank God for primarily in Germany at that point, or did you, did you mention that you bounced around throughout Europe? So I was in Germany, Stuttgart, which is uh, central Southern Germany, um, attending high school. Um, I played, uh, still played baseball for the German you know, or my uh, American high school team wrestled junior, senior year and played soccer as a goalkeeper for junior, senior year. Additionally, I played on a German Aujugend um, or a, uh, what we call it, a junior men's team for a local village simultaneously while I'm playing high school. Uh, but the great thing about that, whether it's the German team or the high school teams, you're going to travel most of Europe uh, playing other uh, high schools. So, you know, whether it's, you know, conference all the way to Europeans championships. So, you know, that, that made for a really unique, you know, opportunity as well to you know, get some sightseeing and see a little. Wow. And I'm, I'm just, I want to jump to this question. So what, uh, what changed from taking a swing at your stepfather to following in his footsteps? What, what's the, I mean, that, that process, obviously something happened there. So walk yeah. me through that. Um, you know, at the time, you know, college, I just didn't think, I didn't feel I was ready. You know, I just didn't have that. And I'll, I'll be honest, there's just not in my family, uh, a lot of individuals who went to college. So I don't think it was, not that anybody said you shouldn't go. Um, I just didn't see it as important. I didn't think I was just ready where I was. And I remember on base, you know, walking to, to the post exchange, you know, it's much like a, a general, uh, a general store on base where you would buy, you know, clothes and, and shoes and whatnot. And I saw a recruiting poster, uh, a special forces recruiting poster of a guy jumping out of a plane, repelling out of a helicopter. And I said, you know, it was my senior year. It's like, that's what I want. That's, that is what I want to do. Um, and I talked to my, at the time coach and, uh, he was like one of my coaches at baseball. He's like, you should do it. Just if that's what you want to do, you should do it. Um, yeah. And so I went and talked to the recruiter and they were like, well, you know, it's not quite that easy. You can't just join as a special operations. You got to be in the military for a little while and then apply and then, you know, be, go through selection, be selected, et cetera, et cetera. I said, okay, well, that's, that's a little, uh, you know, concerning, but yeah, let me, let me think on this. So, um, I thought about it a couple of days, you know, getting close to graduation and, uh, I pulled the trigger and, and I raised that right hand. I said, Hey, there's a few things I want, you know, I want, uh, is there available a, a college fund, you know, a few different incentives. And they said, we can give you those incentives. And, uh, I went home, I signed the paperwork, went home, told my parents, I just joined the military. And they looked at me like I was crazy. Cause I didn't actually talk to them about it. And, uh, <laughs> 
they were trying to actually say, hey, hold on. Uh, let's go talk to this recruiter. We have time. You know, we can roll it back. I said, no, no I'm good. You know, this is the decision I want to make. If it's just four years, uh, I'll, I will have that money to go to college at that point and, uh, you know, kind of find my way. And, uh, you know, and I, my intention was only to do four years. And here I am 25 years. Prior to joining, what was the biggest adjustment period to moving overseas during high school, which is formative years and difficult for any any young man anyways but now you're in germany you've got language now you're on base so it's a little different but what what was the hardest part about that or the hardest parts well one it was probably i would say getting immersed in the culture and language because I, I didn't i wanted to be able to thrive in that environment you know and, and i didn't you know, i didn't know german uh, i wasn't taking it to, in texas because i had no idea i was going to go to germany you know uh, you know six months a year before i uh, pulled the trigger so uh, one was getting you know trying to get up on the language and learn that the best uh, way possible and two is just really the sheer geographics you are so spaced out between everything so you're not you know you're not going to be living on you know the base where you're going to school you're going to be bussed in so it made it a challenge you know for you know sports in the evening time so either get picked up or that there had to be some type of arrangements to get you all the way to you know where you were staying and the driving at that point you had to be uh i think it was 18 to drive so uh, yeah, that, that makes it uh, more difficult when parents are, are working and fully engaged. But luckily, you know, they, they sacrificed, you know, for me to to make it work. And uh, yeah, I, I think that was probably the big other than that. I mean, it was a lot of fun. You got a bunch of kids who are from all over the globe, United States, Army brats who are now thrown into this environment really the same way. Um, and so you learn from them and and it was, it was a great, you know, different cultures from different locations of, of the United States. So you can learn a lot and you're all thrown in this, in this, you know, this bowl, this mixing bowl. And uh, yeah, I, I think that was, it was good. So I don't really recall it being, you know, all that difficult. That's impressive. How long did the language take? Not too bad. Obviously immersed in school. I think within a year um, I was able to at least converse, uh, you know, because the drinking age in, in Germany is really non-existent, you know, 15, 16. <laughs> as long as you can, you're, you know, you're mature enough to handle it. Uh, we would all go out uh, downtown in the, to the discotheques. And uh, I would actually practice in the uh, Strassenbahns or the, uh, uh, the subways with uh, you know, Germans who may be a little too intoxicated to get on the train. And I figured if they could understand me, little words, then I'm doing pretty well. So yeah, I thought, I, you know, treat it as, a, as an opportunity, as a, somewhat of a game to refine the di dialect. So. That doesn't sound like uh, too bad of an upbringing now that you're laying it out for us. Yeah. That doesn't sound so bad at all. And I bet you, did you, I feel like in that situation, if you were thrown into like a base over there, did you probably have like an instant bond with the other kids too? Like you guys just got it and you were probably easier to make friends maybe. Is that accurate? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Cause you're like, you're all thrown into this, this environment, you know, being pulled, you know, you don't have a lot of the, uh, those connections and bonds that you've built at whatever base. Now you're now all at the same location. So mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's move forward in time then. So you said, did you go into special operations? What was your route you took once you joined? Yeah, so joined um, in about uh, you know, the fourth year is when I had the rank and the experience to apply for Special Forces uh, Selection Assessment. It's called SFAS. You know, you're, what you see, the Green Beret, uh, Robert Killian, for, for instance, is, is a Green Beret. Um, I went through uh, selection, 
uh, was selected my first time through um, to go to the next phase, which is the qualification course to receive your long tab. Unfortunately, during that time, uh, I was mentored. Uh, you know, I'm at my five, six year mark and uh, an officer had, you know, I'm enlisted at the time. So an officer uh, of ours, a company had, had mentored me and said, hey, have you ever thought about going, becoming an officer and going to officer candidate school? And I was like, uh, no, not really. He said, uh, why not? I said, well, you know, to be honest, I, I just don't see a lot of officers that uh, um, that I'm influenced by, that motivate me, um, that I would want to model myself um behind. And he said, well, that's exactly why I think you should become an officer. I think you become a great officer. So um, I ended up going to officer candidate school and, uh, and now from, you know, a private, you know, a few years enlisted and went to officer candidate school and uh, then completed and was commissioned as a second lieutenant uh, in the infantry. Um, so, you know, move up that way as a second lieutenant, you know, first lieutenant company commander is, a, is infantry company commander. I did go to ranger school. Um, so, but as far as actually getting into the special operations tabbed, no, never, unfortunately, made that. It, somewhat regretful, but, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't uh, change really anything about my career and the path it's taken me, the opportunities it's given. Okay. And and during uh, this sort of progression, I want to know about what the heck was going on with your fitness, because obviously you didn't lose touch with that, right? Yeah. So what were, what were you focusing on during this time? How were your days and workouts set up and all that? So, you know, when you're in the military, one thing is, you know, no one tells you, shows you how to run. They just tell you, go out and run. You know, you know, physical fitness is a, when you're at that very early on, I'm at the, you know, very tactical level. So it's, it's very regimented. It's, you know, at 6.30, 6.15 in the morning, everybody's in formation, get accountability, and you move out in, you know, small groups, conduct, you know, PT, physical training. So that's going to, that's going to be a variety. So the majority of my physical training I would get during that, and that's going to be a variety, you know, circuit training, uh, you know, running, whether it's fartlek runs, a long run, which a long run in the military based on time is only going to be five, six miles, you know, ability group runs. So you're going to be grouped with like uh, runners based on your physical, your two mile time. Um, and then sometimes it's a formation run, which is really a spree of core. Um, it's incumbent upon you. That would get you that at least got me to a point where I could almost max my army fitness test, which is really not that difficult anyway. So I would also then have to supplement uh, other, you know, physical fitness on my own. So it would just happen after work. Now um, it's very basic. So at those times I, I didn't need to put in a lot of miles. Uh, I was able to do what I needed to do, you know, in that hour, hour and a half every morning. Um, so it was, you know, mostly the functional fitness stuff, you know, the pull-ups and body weight, you know, the standard stuff. Now you always have those things that you need to focus in on. That's very military specific, ruck marching. Um, so, you know, on the weekends or in the evening times, throw, you know, 40, 50 pound of ruck, put the boots on and go for a ruck march um, for a specific time, a distance or pace. Now, for me, the way I focused in on, you know, you can either you can either you know, do the standard and meet it or you can exceed the standard. And, uh, you know, you know, this sport has a lot of A type personalities and just meeting the standard was never enough. So I was just putting in that work to at least always hit max, you know, be the fastest uh, you know, two miler in a PT test or, you know, the fastest, uh, you know, 12 mile road march uh, guy or the guy that could, you know, shoot the weapon, had the best score. So you're always seeking those those opportunities to refine and sharpen uh, to really outshine, outlast, because also that goes to your performance. 
Um, so the better you do, uh, you, there's the eval, you know, you, that you get every year. And so, you know, what precedes you a lot of times is fitness uh, because that's tangible. There's metrics to that. Um, you know, you can show up every day and shine boots, a nice uniform, you know, clean shaven, be on time. That's easy. But to put in that little extra work to be, you know, a better shooter, faster up march or best uh, physical fitness, you know, score, you know, takes a little extra work. And, uh, you know, that, that would always put you a step above, you know, that, that helps out, you know, tremendously. So I, that do you feel, um, I always wondered about this was the training they required of you initially. I always think like, Oh, for a really fit guy like you, it would have been a little bit laughable because you were ahead of everybody else. Like group runs for you might've been like an easy recovery day, for example. So was it that demanding or was it not? No, uh, at my level, it really was not. Now there's a lot of people it was demanding for, right? Um, yeah. But there was a handful of us, you know, it was, it was easy you know, after, uh, you know, an ability group run, you know, a group of us, because they're going to say, hey, if you run a, you know, a, you know, 530 to a seven minute mile, uh, you guys go and you'll move out for four or five miles and you come back. And so I was always up on that. And there's others, too, at that, you know, faster edge. So, um, yeah, you, you weren't getting but I didn't need, uh, you know, to to get a lot out of it because I didn't I wasn't racing. I just needed to, uh, you know, top those those military standards and you know be at the top of the game there. Um, it's not like I was competing at, you know, a race or an event while I was competing at those military um, centric events. What I was able to get out of a PT session in the mornings would keep me at, at, at the top. So I didn't need to put in a lot of supplemental work uh, to you know, stay sharp and stay. Ahead. Did you have any inkling at the time that you were headed towards endurance racing? Were you were you doing races on base? Were you super intrigued by the, the Q course or, or were you were you just fitness in order to be the best soldier I can. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it goes back, you know, as, as an army ranger, uh, you know, there's, I think there's only 27% of in the army are actually tabbed rangers and there's, there's a whole ranger creed, right? Each letter stands, uh, there's a stanza for that. And one of them that's always stick to me is, you know, my country expects me to move further, faster, fight harder than the other soldier. I really embrace that before I became an army ranger. Um, I lived that. And so I think that was, you know, one of those things that's uh, helped drive, drive me. And then as I became a, a tabbed ranger, I really wanted to live that. Um, but that stuck with me because as I moved into a leadership role, a, a platoon leader, especially when you get ready to take a platoon, a, you know, 45 man fire breathing, uh, you know, steely eyed killers into combat. And, you want to be, you want, you want to get their, um, gain their trust. Uh, one of the ways you're doing it is obviously being, you know, tactically and technically proficient. The other way is being extremely physically fit. So because I was enlisted, my peer platoon leaders who are just coming out of college and commissioning, I'm four and five, six years older than that. So I already had a little something to prove. Now I'm looking, you know, I'm leading 18 and 20 and 22 year old men. Um, so I worked extremely hard, you know, now we're talking a little later in my career to be, now I'm doing a lot of extra work on my, um, to be the best. So they had to look up to me. I wanted to be out front on runs. And so they had something to build that confidence for combat. Um, and then as I went to become a, a company commander, a captain, now I have a company of 150 men I've got to take into combat. I'm getting much older, uh, but it doesn't mean anything. I still want to be, you know, build that confidence in them. And one way of doing that 
is is being extremely physical fit, out ruck marching them, out shooting them, you know, out PT in them every single day. Um, cause that's important to me, um, to have that confidence because when you go into combat, uh, you know, that that's, that's important from, for leaders. And, uh, so yeah, that, that was a huge driving force now getting to your question. So now I'm done with, you know, company command time, leading soldiers. Now I'm becoming a staff officer. So I'm getting up there in rank. So I'm not going to have this tactical level, uh, you know, young minds to, to influence, uh, so I see myself now more in that staff role of the job. So I really was a little lost in, you know, 14, I was 15. I did best ranger competition 2012. And that's when I'm starting to make this, this move to a staff job. And I was getting a little lost because my, some of my purpose to fitness was to motivate, inspire, um, you know, those young soldiers. And I lost and I didn't have that. So I was doing half marathons, 10 Ks, my local ones. And while those are fun and I could see, um, you know, improvement, I like getting out there and competing. What I, you know, what you realize, and you know, this uh, as runners, you know, at if it's a half marathon by mile 10, if you are 30, 45 seconds behind, the race is over, you know. Um, and while it was still fun to compete and still get faster, um, you know, I, I was still looking for something more. And that's when in 2015, I was introduced to, to Spartan. So really changed things. How, how did that come about? So I was just coming back from a deployment um, and I was uh, back in my home base and there was a, a, a contractor there in my unit. And he said, hey, you know, in Austin, I was at San Antonio Station, there's a there's a Spartan race. I said, Spartan race, what is this? He, he, so I think I went on the website and took a look at, at the obstacles. I said, wow, this is extremely you know, military centric. You know, uh, our obstacle courses, you know, whether range school or whatever case, you know, A-frames, cargo nets, uh, hurdles, rope climbs monkey bars, you name it, uh, barbed wire crawls. That is exactly what we do, uh, you know, in training. Um, and, you know, my unit used to have one of those and it's, and it's uh, back of the building. I said, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. I said, let me, let me, uh, let me look into this. And uh, so I immediately signed up and, uh, you know, like I said, I was already, you know, doing, you know, half marathons and, and 10 Ks and trail races there in San Antonio. So I knew I was fit enough for the running. Um, Strength-wise, I was doing functional fitness. It might not have been fully tailored to to the OCR uh, way of life. Um, but yeah, jumped into it and uh, man, had, had an incredible experience. How did it go? So I didn't know anything about it. So I, I think, yeah, I went into open class um, and, you know, showed up in shorts, my my road racing shoes that were old, that had, you know, about four or 500 miles on it. You know, they're about 12, 11 ounces, uh, you know, definitely the wrong thing to wear. Um, end up finishing up uh, second or eighth overall. And I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. I was a little frustrated because, you know, you had, a, you had to wait. There was some, uh, you know, natural buildups, uh, uh, funneling there at some obstacles. You know, mm-hmm. there's a spear, of course. I remember the rope climb in 2015 was at the very end after dunk wall in the water. You had to climb up. I couldn't get up, but it was just full of mud. You know, it's later in the day, so burpied right there at the finish line. But I went across the finish line. I said, "This is for me. I love this. I wanted. I want to figure out how one had to be more competitive. Uh, you know, um, I was a little frustrated just because just the natural of the open heats, which nothing wrong with that. It just, but I didn't. I wanted to be able to move straight through, not have to pause at an obstacle. Um, unfortunately, uh, I was deployed again a couple months later. And so I had to wait till 2016. And uh, while I was deployed, I started mapping out as soon as I got back, 
within a month or two, I wanted to go to a race and my next races was Colorado. Uh, so yeah, went to Colorado and ran that and just, and yeah. I mean, I was, I was already hooked from Austin in 2015, but 16. Yeah. I knew it. It's, it's a done deal. I had shoes now and everything. So <laughs> that's half the battle right there. Yeah. Bracken would argue that's almost the whole battle, wouldn't you, Bracken? You love your shoes. <laughs> you buy the right pair of shoes, you don't even have to train. That's Bracken, we got a message asking us to to do a shoe episode, and I didn't show it to you because I know you'd want to do one right away. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. That's probably <laughs> uh, uh, it's true. I know you jump on that. So um, I'm just – this is a side question, but do you ever, like, throw on the boots and go for a run these days or go strap on 50 pounds and go ruck for – for the, I don't know, because you believe it benefits you. Do you still do that stuff? I don't have to train that way uh, simply because I think the training I do already translates that, you know, my ability allowed. Now, if I needed to, if there was a competition, like a best ranger competition, yeah, I would absolutely train up, put a, you know, nothing takes place of getting time under ruck and that uncomfortable feeling. Um, but the way boots are now as comfortable as they are, uh, I, we have some competitions here on base a couple times a year. It's called a Mogadishu mile. It's really a Memorial day for you remember black Hawk down. And so mm -hmm. and then, uh, for a D day and we really do, it's a team event, uh, anywhere from four to six man team and you're running in boots and you know, you're carrying a rucksack and a litter. So going through obstacles. Uh, so my fitness now will already translate to that. So no, I, I don't see really the benefits uh, unless I was, purposely, you know, training for something, but, uh, not a need. Okay. And talking about Cole at 25 years old, setting an example for incoming recruits and such versus Cole's training now would, would, how old are you Cole? Uh, 48 and next month. Wow. 48. All right. You don't look 48. You're doing well, brother. Yeah. So lots of water. Yeah, I think there's more to it than that. So, so 48-year-old Cole, does does he run circles around 25-year-old Cole? Or is 25-year-old Cole hang and he would have been even a different threat we could understand today? No, I, I think if you look short, 25 Cole was fast. Uh, you know, for me, not trained, you know, not collegiate level. You know, in high school, again, no, no, wrestling coach, baseball, soccer coach didn't teach me how to run, didn't tell me about, uh, you know, overstriding, breaking force, uh, you know, none of that. Um, but I was able, I think it was just, uh, you know, pure grit, um, you know, understanding how to get into the pan cave. I mean, for me in the military running a five twenty, a uh, 10, 20, two mile, that was good. Now I couldn't do that now, but Cole nowadays, uh, with my endurance training could run circles around, you know, Cole 25, uh, just the ability to, you know, do 13, 15, you know, 16 miles at a, at a, a good pace. 10, 22 mile. Untrained 1020, huh? Yeah, 1022. It's not too bad. Yeah. But that That's, that breaks you though. That, there is nothing left after that. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be. We yeah. we talk about this a lot. What's the most painful race on earth? And I think it's somewhere between the mile and the two mile. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, I would I would Yeah. I mean different type of pain, obviously, but yeah. that's impressive. So so you you were you could clip off five tens young yep. and now you can hold six minute all day. Well, and most likely I was doing probably a five and I was incrementally getting short, you know, <laughs> understanding those, you know, negative splits really wasn't a concept. Uh, then it was just go as hard as you can to try to hold on uh, to the handlebars until the wheels fell off. Uh, so, you know, I've learned a lot more. Uh, I, I think now is just what's great is just the information we have at our hands nowadays with technology, you know, things that you do. I mean, there's a variety of 
uh, you know, pros and professionals out there that really are just all this unique information. You just need to absorb it, take it and apply it. Um, yeah. And you're much better. And I, and it, you know, whether it's from nutrition to fitness to recovery, um, I didn't have that understanding. It was just pure grit and just get out and will, um, and, you know, but that's not healthy, you know, back then. I, I definitely see that now. So for those, for the listeners who don't know, Cole, Cole DeRosa here, who we're talking to is, uh, let's see, in the 2019, you were the trifecta age group world champ. You were the U.S. national series world champ. You were the West Virginia, I think you were the age group world champ there. Um, now knowing you were fourth in Tahoe in your age group, but you were training in Tampa. Is that correct? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's probably your most impressive, uh, marker right there. But this man's a very accomplished, accomplished athlete. And so I want to know that progression from 2015 Cole, I, we can, we got plenty of time here. I don't know how much time you have, but just walk us through the progression there. I'm, I'm curious how open class, uh, went to being the arguably the best age group racer in the world. Um, you can't, you can't argue with those accolades, Cole. You just can't. Kevin Gelati might send me a message after this telling me I'm full of shit, but I don't care. So t- walk me through it. Now, now, before you get all humble on us, your peers in your age group requested you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I coach a guy who's been the mountain series age group, his age group champ for a mountain series. I coach a guy who is, uh, a couple guys who were won their stadium age group for the national series. Uh, I've coached someone who won their age group at the North American championship that I have a decent amount of age group athletes and to a man and woman, they all requested you oh, wow. and they all say, you know, he's amongst age group athletes in the sport. Cole, Cole is the best, not he's the best masters age group. Cole's the guy you have to have on of all age groups. So you can be as humble as you want, but your peers are giving you the, the words that you probably would never give yourself. So continue on, but just know that you were requested by the people that you're racing. Well, I, I definitely appreciate that. Um, you know, I, w- one thing is one of the hardest transitions, I, I want to say hard, it, it was tough. Maybe it's personally, it was, you know, when elite masters went away and went to age group, uh, you know, you know, as you well know, you know, I've continued to run elites. Uh, I had eight elite podiums out of 13 elite races last year, but a big focus was age group. And there's, and I'll, I'll get back to that, that transition, but um, a lo- there are a lot of great athletes in age group. Uh, there's a lot of athletes, especially, you know, in that, that, you know, 35 up, a lot of them can hold their own at elites uh, at a very, and so it was important to me to support Spartan because I knew a lot of those elite guys uh, who are elite masters would go into um, age group. And, you know, I, it was important, you know, the Kevin Donos, July, I mean, Mike Aguera, I could go on and on. It was important for me to support that and, and um, go all in as well as the age group to um, give it, I think, that validity it, it really needed. So, um, yeah, big shout out to, to the age groupers because they are, you know, doing the hard work. They're in the trenches and, and really having to balance and manage those lifestyles and training. So, so to, to interject real quick, did you, um, when they went over from the competitive waves to the age group waves, you were completely running elite before that 100%, and rightfully so. Uh, you honestly probably, you still very well should and could, and you do still run elite. So did you make that jump right away? You said, all right, I feel like this is the best decision for me, and you've committed to that, or have you Have you still, are you still gonna be going back and forth? I'll still go back and forth. Um, it's a different type of race. One, I wanna be against the best anyway, and there are the best in any given day in age group. 
uh, are some phenomenal athletes. As well as we know, they're the, the best are going to show up, uh, whether it's regional, obviously a regional race, the best in the leader will show up. Um, and I, it's just a different race. You know, age group, as you know, uh, one, I the way I attack age group, I'm not running just on my age group. Uh, I'm running against all age groups. My goal is we, we have this saying in age group, the triple ones, right? One, one, one. The only one person can have that. Um, U.S. National Series last year, I was the triple one. So I was first over all ages in U.S. And that's... Explain the one, one, one to people that aren't familiar with how age groups talk about that. Yeah. So when you pull up uh, athletes or there at the, the race, your results, one, one, one will be, you know, first overall, first in gender, and then first in your age group. So there can only be one triple one. So that's how that works. And, and really we've, we've all, uh, you know, in the age group, we've, everybody's fighting for that. Um, and so that drives me on the course. Cause I'm not just racing against you know my guys. I'm thinking about, you know, that 19, that 25, whoever that's going to follow, you know, 20 minutes behind me. Um, and that really helps drive. And, and most of that, I, I really enjoy that because I think um, it inspires a lot of people to say, you know what, I, if, you know, he's 48, he can do this. He's not a collegiate background. He's a normal guy who started in open um, and didn't even win open, uh, second place in open, and um, has put in the hard work, the dedication, some sacrifice um, because he has a goal. And I think, you know, it really, you know, and, you know, I, I have a full-time job. So um, really it's that ability to say it can be done. Um, if uh, applying yourself the right way, um, anybody can make those moves um, and get better. Putting that into perspective, as a 47 or 48-year-old guy being the 1-1-1 of the entire U.S. National Series, beating anybody, I just think, God, this this sport is is becoming more and more full of 40-plus athletes. And half, you know, they, it brings out their competitive side again, but you're an example of the fact that, like, who cares if you're 48? Like, I'm going to kick that 25-year-old's ass. Like, it's possible. Yeah, you know, I think it is. Yeah. You know, um, and going back to your original, how does 2015, how do we shift? So, you know, 15 was, uh, I was just, it was just getting out there. What is this? And and getting that experience and immediately, you know, having that ability to compete at a later in life or any time in life uh, for me, and I know most listeners out there, competition uh, really drives us. Um, but more than that, it gave me this focus that I really needed to, um, as I said, you know, racing gives me a focus. I don't train to race. Racing is the focus for my training. Um, and I really enjoy that. And it's a great outlet. Not only it's an incredible community, but it really helps me uh, really be the best person I am, you know, mentally, physically, and spiritually. You know, if anybody's ever done, you know, obviously Tahoe, we can talk last year, year before Bracken, I know you were there. You you could get spiritually, touch your, get touched spiritually in a Spartan race real quick on some of those, uh, those races. So, you know, mm-hmm. after deployment, 16 came back. Um, I immediately laid out as many races as I could. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, first one was Colorado. Um, everything was closed. So I had to jump in the open heat, which was a super. Uh, I think it ended up getting first or second. The next day, competitive was open, the sprint, and uh, and jumped in that and uh, took second overall in the competitive, which ended up being age. And I said, okay, that's it. Um, everything else is elite. The next one for me is AT&T Stadium from Dallas. You know, always want to go to Cowboy Stadiums and, and run. Um, and I remember this is where I started understanding really quick uh, the difference at, from the competitive to the elite. I got fourth place, missed a spear throw. Um, never practiced it. That was, you know, that, and you, you knew it. It's the ultimate equalizer. We talk about it all the time. Uh, but that hurt. It hurt because I was only a few seconds off the podium. The first one, um, 
And that motivated me one, you know, start to focus on, uh, you know, where my weaknesses are yet. I still, because I didn't make a spear throw yet through 17, but, uh, um, <laughs> I started really doing some, you know, a lot of those anaerobic aerobic shift workouts, tailoring my workouts to where I thought and felt, um, you know, it benefit OCR. And the next two races in 16, uh, were, uh, Dallas, uh, the beast and the sprint. And I, that's where I hit my first podium with, uh, you know, Michael Mark, you know, all those guys, you know, he's been a long time guy, you know, Yancey Cole, you know, I, I grew up in the, in kind of the, I say grew up, you know, looking at, if you remember when you used to go to a Spartan race, before you walked into the venue, there'd be a board with names. Um, and that's how you got your, your bib number to go, you know, register. And I would always look for those guys, you know, the Yancey Culp who was racing then, the Kevin Donahue's, Kevin Gillard, you know, uh, the Michael Marks, there's, I mean, the whole variety. And I'd say, okay, those are the guys I'm going to sit and watch, want to learn from. And those are the guys that I would hope one day, you know, I, I want to be whether I can or I can't. Um, yeah, I put a target on them. They didn't know it, uh, but that helped drive me and motivate me. And, and I think that 2016, there in October, standing on the podium next to Michael Mark was uh, yeah, that told me right then, yeah, there's some opportunity. Just got to keep at it. Everyone who comes in the sport gets exposed in some way. It sounds like they expose your spear throws, but everyone gets their spear throw exposed. What was the the big illuminating like weakness that you found coming in? Was it running or was it something different? Yeah, I think I talk about this uh, to a, a variety uh, of different peers in the sport. So for me, I know I'm not going to be the fastest guy uh, at the start line. I knew it. So for me, it was really dissecting where it was, and this really started in 17, um, where it was that I could make up time on, because as I'm looking at, you know, athletes and different results and seeing what their splits or their time, their pace was, okay, I got to figure this out. So for me, it was being more efficient and uh, at obstacles and and as well as uh, my transitions in and out. And that really started shaping my training. Now, before that, I realized just listening again uh, to different uh, podcasts, I started evaluating my running. I said, okay, I've never really had my running evaluated. You know, I'm, I'm hearing, you know, and some people, um, you know, apply this, you know, the, the 180, you know, beats, uh, steps and minutes, um, school of thought. So one, I started just analyzing my form, uh, started recording it, taking a look at what was my cadence. And I realized real quick that I was, I was overstriding, breaking force. My lower back, I remember, you know, 16 and 17 when I ran, I just thought my lower back was hurting from deadlifts and hang power cleans, you know, functional fitness. Well, I realized as soon as I adjust my running and getting to a more uh, cadence to 180, I've never had back pain again. It was literally caused by poor running form. So tightening that up, becoming more efficient and actually, you know, doing some study on my running and then um, looking at ways to cut time on the course. For me, that was obstacle, obstacle proficiency and those transitions in and out. That's where I put all my focus in on. Um, and then finally made a spear and started uh, practice that. Because <laughs> in 17, I was still only hitting about 55% without training it. Sometimes you find those guys, because you said you played baseball younger. Uh, you don't throw a spear like you throw a baseball. And sometimes I find some ball sport athletes like actually really struggle with that transition. Some of the best hand-eye coordination athletes I know come in and suck at the spear initially and have to retrain that motion. Is that what you found? Was your spear just dipping down and left every time or was it 
setting sails some direction you weren't expecting? I'm just curious. Yeah, no, for me, it, it, there was no consistency and that was it. I was really all over the place um, because I just, I just didn't create that muscle memory. And as soon as I made a spear throw at the end of 17, I said, that's it. Um, Cause I missed some really key elite podiums by seconds, fourth places um, due to the spear. I, that's it. I um, immediately, I think there and after Tahoe um, at 17, um, made, made a spear throw, started practicing before every race and made that as a ritual. And I think then, you know, in 18, uh, you know, even with 30 some races, I think I only missed, uh, you know, 5% of my spears after that. Uh, it made a big difference. It was just, I just needed to get out practice and create that muscle memory. It was, it was, that was it. It's so true. You can go. And once you put in like that bulk part of the work and you got that down, I can go the week of a race and just be like, oh, yep, there it is. But you have to put in that initial investment totally. Bracken, did you, because you were a ball sport athlete, did you miss a lot of spears early or were you right on right away? Uh, I missed my first one horribly. And then I went right home and started practicing. But I put in hundreds and hundreds of reps from, because I, I raced in fall of 2010 or 2011, when, I don't even remember anymore, 2011. Uh, so, so by the time next spring came around, I, I probably had thousands of reps. I put a spear target up in my backyard. I started throwing at trees and eventually made a target. And by that point, I had so many thousands of reps that I was good. So luckily I didn't come in at the start of a season. I came at the end of a season. But yeah, I, yeah. I, my first one was pathetic. I thought, well, everyone's, everyone's doing burpees. I can throw. I've been throwing for two and a half decades. Like I've got this and it was embarrassing. I just tell people there and we can move on from this is it's like once you start like a multiple times a week, get 20, 30, 50, 100 throws and do it repetitively week in and week out for a block of time. And if you're one of those who keep missing the spear like that will be a game changer for you for sure. Um, so something Cole, you had said when we first started chatting is, you know, it doesn't surprise me. And Bracken said this, that you are a you are a student and you you went right into what I would expect any high level performing athlete to say when I asked you about uh, your training back from a race on your calendar. And you said, oh, I can just move my 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 pre-race training six weeks forward and back and it'll be fine. So you have a plan. You're not haphazardly just rolling through. You're not just exercising as we call it, right? So do you outline your own training? Do you have a coach? And how do you set that up? Because clearly you have some rhyme or reason to what you're doing. Yeah, no, I don't have a coach, but I, I like to say that I get to pick and choose from, you know, guys like you and Brack and, and Yancey Cope, who are really um, uh, are just uh, transparent with a lot of things and provide a lot of information. Um, and, the, and there's a variety of others. And I've really kind of built that program uh, around that. That's been very beneficial. And, and you know, I, I know you all talk about it all the time. I keep a, a pretty detailed calendar. Um I, I go on and go all the way back to two years ago every day, you know, where I was, what was the lead up, you know, um, you know, back it up from an A race and see, okay, it's eight weeks out. You know, what, what, what was I planning, you know, based on that race, what, you know, was it flat or was it mountains? Um, so unfortunately, no, I don't have a coach. I, and I think I, I, I don't think I know that's the next step to be maybe a little more efficient uh, with, with what I'm doing, but what I've done, it, it seems to work. So, you know, I, my way I look at my training is um, I'm getting older, obviously. And so I want to reduce injury by, you know, reducing my miles, ensuring that I'm recovering between runs. Um, but I got to, I got to stay consistent. So I don't want junk miles. I want quality miles. 
um, because I'm only running 27 to 35 miles a week. And 35 is really when we're looking, it's usually championship season when I'm, I'm hitting that a week. Um, and with a strength training, you know, Monday through Friday. Um, so, you know, typically that's going to be four runs a week um, with two of them being, you know, those five to seven mile runs where it could be, you know, speed work, fartlek or tempo uh, Saturday, it would be my generally speaking, that long run where I'm at the season is going to dictate, you know, it could be 10 miles if it's off all the way to 16. If we're talking Tahoe or a trifecta world championship. And then one day will always be a, another speed work, but with OCR. So compromised running the way I looked at it is, um, if I, I can reduce miles by creating compromise so that I'm still getting, you know, I'm, I'm creating stress, which is then, you know, you know, recovery and adaptation without having to put a lot of miles on by compromising my running so I can adapt better. So um, I throw in that OCR work uh, with that speed work. And then I, like I said, functional fitness is Monday through Friday. Um, so there are days there are two a days. So I think like we all have to at this level, at least to, to maintain that. Um, and, Technically speaking, Sundays is a day where um, hey, that's decompression, deload, get off the feet, relax. So Saturday night, if I want to have a beer, eat whatever I want, then I can do that because Sunday I know is my off day. And mentally having that day on the calendar allows me when it's Tuesday or Wednesday and I'm in the pain cave and I'm dragging, I can say, you know what? Set Sunday is right around the corner. You can do this, push through it. And then, uh, you know, Saturday night, it's all over and you can relax, you know, Sunday's off. So, yeah. We can talk more about training. I'm pretty pretty transparent to, to a lot of my peers. But oh yeah, I want to dive into it. Yeah. Before you do, I do want to touch upon a point that you that you that you hit there, and that was that you look back at what you've been doing to determine what you're going to do. And I think that that's that that sounds really obvious and clear when you say it, but I don't think a lot of people take it to the level that they should and that you do. Um, a lot of people program moving forward rather than looking back. And the fact that you said, all right, championship, what was I doing eight weeks prior to this? That is just a very profound statement to me, knowing what you respond to and how you respond to it combined with what you did beforehand is how people talk about personalized training. You know, I, I offer it as coach, personalized training. Well, yeah, it's personalized, but it really doesn't actually start being personalized until round two. We can personalize it to your time or your equipment or to your paces, but that's individualized. It doesn't become personal until you've looked back and seen what does a training block do to my results. And you're doing that. Like you're doing, you don't, you may not have a coach, but you're doing the things that a really good coach would do for you. You're looking at your log and you're seeing cause and effect. And I think if I could tell the age group athlete, other than consistency and recovery, one thing you need to do to be as successful as what your pro counterparts might be doing, it's seeing the cause and effect of every training block. So I love hearing that you're doing that. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. So to, to clear this up then, um, so you're looking at this as the long game. You think, is being healthy the number one priority to you now in your late 40s? Is that like the first, one of the first thoughts, like I need to be able to, obviously you can perform at a high level, but I need to stay healthy. Is that top of mind often with your decision-making? Yeah, well, I think one... I think going back, I said, you know, I, I want to be a, a, a high level fitness. For instance, if I need to deploy, I want to be able to deploy and not have to, you know, worry about a training program to deploy. If someone asks me to move their couch or, you know, I don't want to worry about, oh man, after that, moving that couch down the stairs, my lower back's hurting, which a lot of peers at, at my age, uh, would, that would happen. That, that could lay them out for a couple of days. Um, so that ability to be functionally fit 
to get me through everyday life, um, that is important. One, I think mentally it's, it's beneficial, um, obviously. And then, and then two, longevity in life, it just makes me feel you know, better when I know I can go out and, and run you know, you know, six miles and, and put a, a nice hard workout in. Um, yeah, it's important to me to uh, you know, be at a, a high state of readiness, if you will, and, and fitness is, is a huge part of that. When you say functionally fit, did you mention that you're in the gym Monday through Friday? So you're going to the gym and doing a gym workout on top of your run training. Is that right? Correct. So um, so what are we doing there for five days a week? Walk us through that. I'm super curious. So uh, one of the things I've read, I think Matt Mossman talked about it in a podcast or maybe one of his brain bombs a few weeks back. And we, he and I were engaged back and forth on, you know, when athletes get older, um, and you're going to get slower, you know, you're going to lose muscle mass, but there are things to slow that process. And one of it is doing, uh, you know, high intensity training. Well, I was already doing that because one, it makes sense. It's efficient with time. You can do a great workout in 25, 35, 45 minutes. Uh, 45 is probably on the upper end when you're talking about a metabolic uh, type workout uh, and a hit clearly is going to be shorter. So one, it's very efficient. Two, it's, it's great at older age on at, uh, you know, maintaining muscle mass. Uh, so therefore I'm not having to spend, you know, very much hours in the gym and it's functional, it's functional movements. It's multiple body parts being worked out at the same time. And then lastly, it, it works expect, you know, exceptionally well for OCR, uh, because you are having to do a lot of things at a high heart rate. Uh, I mean, you know, this listeners know this, so it translates at least to me doing, uh, those high intensity or Metcon workouts, um, translates well into, into OCR and just being, you know, functionally fit. So, yeah. Um, and I say gym, you know, that's going to be my garage gym, as I said, but I do have the ability. We have a, at work while all the gyms, even on base are closed. Um, we do have a small unit, uh, conics, if you will, that has bumper plates, kettlebells. So at lunch, I can still get some of that work lunch. So yeah, if it's uh, if it's a run day lunch, I'm running. Uh, if it's a workout day, you know, uh, and therefore if, if lunch is a run day, then when I get home, it, it's that, that functional fitness workout, that wad of the day that I've you know programmed out. Um, so, and then when we get closer to uh, West Virginia, I'm going to be adding on, you know, some, some other items to, to try and prepare for that. So some days are definitely be two a days. Well, I guess what I want to know is, are you running through, are you ever just getting under a heavy load and squatting and doing deadlifts and such? Or are you always elevated heart rate? Cause you keep saying functional, which I, I very much approve of that. Um, but I just still don't know what that means to you. So what could you be like more specific? I'm just super yeah, curious. Yeah. So I would say the majority of my, my functional workouts are going to be, and it's going to be a variety of different things. So you, you were talking, you know, um, hang power cleans. I'm not doing heavy weight that I don't think that translates well. Um, and, and two for my body, it's, I can't sustain that. If I had to leave the gym or something, uh, I had to go away temporary duty for two weeks. I didn't have access, um, deadlifting heavy squatting, you know, you know, my one rep max to me won't benefit. I'm going to lose that too quick. But if I do lower weights, high reps, it seems to benefit me. And I can maintain that if I had to have a break over a certain period of time. And I think just the higher reps, um, with a little bit lower weight, uh, has benefited me very well in obstacle. So what I will say is for instance, I will do a, you know, a 17 minute AMRAP that may include, you know, burpees, pull-ups, box jumps, 
and uh, hang power cleans, right? Variety number. Now, after that, that's at high intensity. I'm that's nonstop, you know, heart rates at that three peaking almost for me until four. After that, you know, take a 15 minute break, then do what I would call a strength focus, where it would be maybe five by five heavier front squats, for instance. Um, so I would separate those out, um, uh, if you will, if that made sense. That's interesting. I, I've done similar things with my workouts. Um, and actually, I got that from Hunter. Where, But we do the reverse. The we reverse, do yeah. the power work first uh, and the Metcon or WAD finisher second. And what I'm not saying one's better than the other. I'm curious. I, I have a reason for mine. Hunter has a reason for his. What's your your logic, your rationale for why you like that? How that works with your body and your workout? Yeah, I think one to be one completely honest is I haven't tried reversing it. Um, and two, the other one is I feel you know I it depletes me a lot that that wad when you're going you know high heart uh, rate. You know, you're not taking breaks. You're just moving into one movement to the other. Um, and I felt like that's where my quality work is. Um, and then it gives me that opportunity to do the, the more strength, lower heart rate. You know, I can take a little more breaks in between it's, uh, you know, that strength work out the end. But now that you say that, yeah, I'm definitely interested. I might switch that up and test that out. I wasn't cr critiquing. No, I was, no, I good. was wondering. And then I can take a look at my numbers because I all my workouts are on three by five cards and I keep metrics on the back of my times, how many reps. Okay. So I can, you know, keep track of where I'm at. I would say my rationale is that with a running load on top of my workouts, I'm fearful of doing any sort of squat or deadlift under real weight with fatigue in my legs. And so I prioritize my heavy lifts before I do a wad because I'm hyper paranoid about tweaking something. Sure. Yeah, makes and sense. then I like to do my wads in a depleted state so that it helps my compromise race day work the most. So that's my rationale for it. But it's interesting that you prioritize the wad not to do it in a compromised state, but to do it in a fresh state so that you can work probably at a higher capacity than I work when I'm compromised. Interesting how we're approaching it from opposite sides of the coin. Yeah. So I just want to still just kind of dig into this more. So you will do, you're, you're, a fan of getting that heart rate up to like a high rate of work, even on a non-run day, even if you have a interval session plan the next day, you're not going to shy away from an intense wad that might get your heart rate up to 170 or so like during it. Is that what I'm hearing? But I would say for me, uh, you know, at 48, my, I wish my heart, I get my heart rate up to 170. Uh, sure. you know, so yeah, it's, I would say if it peaked at two, I, 162, I mean, that's going to be high, but it's not going to stay there. It'll probably drop down, but sustained wise, a 138 to 145, which is you know fairly high for me mm -hmm. um, on those wads. Yeah. And I, I, I'm, I'm definitely pushing, pushing hard through those. Five days per week? Five days a week. Five days a week Monday doing elevated, intense Metcon work. Yes. And that does not leave you impacted on running or is that why you run low mileage? So that definitely that helps. That's one of the reasons why I run low mileage. But two, I'm going to have a large break. So if that wad, that Metcon is at lunch, then well, more than likely, if it's a run day, I'm running at lunch. So I'm not going to do that wad till the evening time. So I'm going to have time to recover. I'm going to get off work, lay out on the couch, relax, you know, uh, you know, for an hour, and then do that workout at you know six thirty, seven o'clock at night. So I'm having that's a big break from eleven thirty, twelve, you know, till seven o'clock at night when I do that high intensity workout. So. At least in my mind, it feels like. Um, well, it's it's funny because it shows what body of work does to mm -hmm. a lot of people. Saying you get to recover from lunch until dinner and work out again is like 
you expect me to work out again today? I'm depleted after dinner because I worked hard, hard at lunch, but you've put in months and years yeah. of two a days and it shows what your body can learn to accept in terms of what recovery truly is. And it also starts to sh shed some light on how you can be a low volume runner and win the trifecta world championships, which is three races in a weekend yeah. where recovery is a little different to you than it is for, to someone who's not doubling a, each day and who doesn't have intensity in their doubles. Sure. And I think, I think you hit a, a point you, know, you have to, you have to build to that. Um, and I've been building this when I first started again, I was at the back of the pack. Uh, you know, when you look at elite, even, even though as a master's athlete, uh, I was at, you know, 20th, 25th elite overall, um, as I continue to adapt, you know, evolve, um, and, by doing these two a days, you know, I've steadily, you know, is able moved up where, you know, even at elite race, I can be at you know, top 10, uh, you know, with some really, you know, great elite athletes that are, you know, 10, 15, you know, 22 years young, younger than, me. yeah, it's a process. You talk about <laughs> you got a problem over here. <laughs> yeah. What's going on? What are you doing over there, brother? Uh, man, somehow the rubber gasket got removed from this thing. And every time I take a drink, it's been peeing all over me. And finally, I just looked inside the lid and it's because there's no rubber gasket. So I've got to find this or my favorite water bottle is kaput. Catastrophe. Carry on, I, uh... gentlemen. I'm just going to struggle in silence over here. <laughs> um, yeah, we had we talk about low mileage athletes versus high mileage athlete. Sure, you're, you're a low to moderate mileage athlete, but you're not a low volume athlete. I just love the perspective that you're outlining that now warrants your success. I, an athlete might say, I don't think I could be successful off of 30 miles a week at my peak. I don't think I could run as fast as Cole if I'm only doing 30 miles a week. And then you look at the lump sum of your week, Cole, and you go, well, no shit. He's performing like he is. You're, you're getting, you're getting in work, aerobic work when you're doing your wads. So you're doing cardio six days a week on top of compromised training on top of purposeful run work, on top of purposeful compromised run work. And you look at, you layer all the sum of the parts and there you have it. So it's just, you just outline it really nicely for people that are striving to be the next Cole, I think. And I think you're probably a guy that there's a lot of dartboards with your face on it in age group athletes homes. I'm not kidding you. You're, you're kind of the gold standard to a lot of these guys. And as Bracken had mentioned, we had a lot of people vouch for themselves to say, Hey, I think I would be a good candidate to be your next interview, which I appreciated, but we didn't have anybody near as many as you come in and, and as far as recommendations. So um, I want you being such a, a successful athlete, if you were to, you know, the age group realm better than we do right now. If you would say some generalizations that you see maybe that the age group athlete striving to be the next Cole DeRosa is doing wrong, what do you see people doing wrong that they could improve to get closer to you. I guess you can hold some secrets, of course, but what do you see as mistakes being made? People that are chasing you down in their training. Um, one, I think, I mean, oh, of course, I don't know everybody and, and what their, their training regimen is like, but I don't know if people take the personal uh, investment in themselves for supplementation, uh, you know, new, good nutrition. Uh, and we're talking pre-race, race week, uh, morning of race, I hear uh, supplementation. I, and this is also warm up. A lot of the the age groupers that you know I'm, I'm around and I've seen and I watch, um, they you know they don't really think about that nutrition and haven't put in some of the the thought and the research. You know what should you do leading up to a race? 
uh, morning of a race? Um, what about pre-race warmups and getting ready for that race? Um, you know, I mean, you're starting to see it a little more, but I, I think just some of the very basics, um, getting yourself prepared to perform on race day is probably lacking. Um, and, and whether that's just a, a lack of doing just research, um, but, you know, whatever the case may be, I think that's probably because it's easy. That's easy to implement um, if you just do a little bit of research uh, and apply that. And it can make a huge difference on race day. Um, yeah, not knowing what they're doing at home and uh, whether it's overtraining or, you know, not putting in the, the correct round of miles, the effort, you know, those, those quality miles, that's hard to, to know without looking at everybody's training plan. But yeah, I think it's that nutrition and pre-race preparation. If I could just you know keep it really basic and broad. Okay. And how do you, this is something we talk about a good bit. How long have you been in Tampa? Uh, this September makes three years. Okay. You are, you know, we like to hem and hoe over how we are flatlanders here in the Midwest, but I do have a ski hill that has 200 feet of gain. I can go run. I know as sad as it is in Tampa, you don't even have that. You have overpasses at best. So how does somebody like you, I mean, the U.S. National Series, Cole, had some mountain races, brother, and you were training in Tampa. So what are you doing to get ready for those as a flatlander, a true flatlander? Yeah, um, I think highest elevation I'll have on my 13-mile you know, training runs is maybe, you know, the, the 15 curbs that I go up and down. That's really max. Uh, <laughs> um, so... Well, the first thing was doing is, is for me, it's again, we talked that programming. I think the big first one was Big Bear last year. Um, and I couldn't wait to do Big Bear because I've heard, you know, that's what there's some signature races out there. You know, Big Bear is one of them, Palmerton, Double Sandback. You know, there's some signature races you just got to do. And I was so glad last year uh, Big Bear was part of the U.S. National Series. So, um, you know, uh, it was Alabama, Jacksonville. I wasn't worried. I continued my training plan last year. It's flat. Um, and by the way, 67% of my races are flat. So I, by design, don't do a lot of mountain work, you know, till later. The third one was Seattle, still pretty flat. So I was just starting to, if you will, implement, and I'll kind of get to your question, uh, some elevation training. And then came Big Bear. And then obviously we ended with Utah and then West Virginia. So one, I wanted to wait as long as possible. You know, I didn't want to plateau too early. You know, we talked training blocks, you know, stress recovery adaptation. I didn't want to start training specifically for, you know, Big Bear um, too early, uh, you know, with those three fairly flat races. So, you know, for me, uh, use your environment. Um, treadmill uh, is, is key, you know, getting on a treadmill, high incline. And, uh, you know, for me, it was, you know, doing intervals. Um, you know, there's a variety of different ways. And I know, I think y'all spoke about it quite a few times. The other one, um, at the end of the day, in the evening, uh, on base, there's a parking garage um, that we, you know, people park six, seven levels. I uh, do some compromised stair runs with sandbags and burpees. And, you know, I may spend 50, 60 minutes climbing stairs with varying weighted sandbags, um, you know, smashing that in between, you know, either stairs, uh, treadmill, and then I'm, we'll start doing a lot of those front squats, power squats, just to help, you know, strengthen, uh, you know, walking lunges, underweight, under load, mixed in with, you know, compromised run with runs, 400s, 800s, whatever the case may be. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, you start in Crete, you know, it's all about, you know, variety, um, you know, intensity, you know, varying all that and making sure that I have a, you know, stepped plan to get all the way into Big Bear, you know, start sustaining that through Utah and then, uh, yeah, hopefully let that drive into to West Virginia. So yeah, bottom line, that's that's what it was. Use my environment uh, the best way I could. It seemed to work okay. 
I feel I feel confident in our military knowing that people like you are designing our battle plans. Like this, <laughs> that is a well thought out, really precise way of saying, here's how we're getting around this obstacle, and here's how I'm going to be ready for the demands of what the race day is going to they're going to require of me that, that those are exactly what you should be doing. And you're, you're not, you're still not doing it. You're not winging it. You're you, it sounds like you even have a progression for how you build from one to the next. And just it's, it's a endurance is a, it's a competition of toughness, but it's a thinking's man preparation. Like you, you have to be thinking your way through your prep and you're doing that. I really, really enjoy hearing this. And I think the other key point is, you know, we talked about it early on and then um, I'm not, I'm not shying away from the middle of the day runs. Could I get up early when it's cooler to run? Absolutely. I'm still choosing to run every day at lunch, uh, you know, 90% of the time, unless there's duty calls um, in the high humidity, high heat, um, because as you know, your body makes physical changes. Uh, you will become more efficient the longer you do it. There's adaptation and that, works and it seems to work and there's you know obviously some studies uh that helps you when you get elevation it's not perfect but i'm going to use what i have uh you know at, at my at my at my convenience and, and working out the heat of the day you know seemed to really work kirk and i coach people from a lot of different climates but we have plenty of people dealing with heat and humidity right now and it is one of our biggest complaints we get or our excuses we get is i just couldn't get the workout in today it was too hot and I really, really hope a lot of people are hearing this where like, you are training towards something greater. You're not training to, to have a great time today. You're training to have a great result on race day. And humidity and heat is miserable and it is a tool that is extremely useful to harness. I think you're exactly right. Tool, yeah, that, that obviously just sparks exactly the thought. I think the other piece is that I tell myself, you know, there are days I'm like, man, I really don't want to get out there today and do this you know, after sitting behind the desk. But then there's those external motivations that you got to tap into. It was like, you know what, my peers uh, who may live in the mountains or live in a cooler climate, guess what? They're getting after it. Um, so you know what? I have to get after it just as well. So you still need to find sometimes we all have those days. What is that other motivation I can tap into? I think the other one is, uh, is while external motivation is great, you, you, if you don't have, if you can't internalize some of that motivation, um, you're not always going to be successful. So having those things I can tap into internally to say, you know what, um, no, I'm going to do this because and for me, I have a variety of things I, I think of that I uh, say, you know what, there we go. Let's get out and do it. You know, it's mental Kung Fu. I think I like to call it. Yeah. Do you have, um, do you have an incline trainer or do you do the 15% treadmill deal? Yeah, unfortunately, um, no incline trainer. I just go to my, uh, here, my complex has a, uh, treadmill there. And so I'll, I'll use that in the evening times or, or whatever the case right now it's, uh, you know, everything's locked down here. We're, we're not doing too well in Florida, but, uh, like I said, I still have access to, you know, parking garage and front squats and, and some other things. So uh, I'm looking forward to getting onto that, uh, that treadmill once it opens. Do you I like do... that you bring up, I like that you bring up front squats because, uh, it's a very underrated exercise. Uh, that correlates to quad strength and climbing, uh, front loading that the, the positioning, I, I see you say front squats and not back squats. And I assume you do that with intention. Correct. Correct. It's the one I really like to add in and that's for the climbing translation. Correct. Absolutely. No. Absolutely. Okay. Cool. You can go ahead, Bracken. I just wanted to add that in. No, that's good. And, and I, I, I concur, <laughs> you know, mm. uh, it's, I, it almost, I don't look at it as a ancillary exercise. 
to me, that can be a main set. Um, but curious what the, so I've done the parking garage thing as well, living in the flat area I do and I prescribe it a lot. And I'm curious, have you done work, do you do work on the ramps for your downhill work? Do you go up and down the ramps as well? No, the way our ramps are set up, there's, it's really not that much of a, of a decline. Um, so it's usually my work is the stairs uh, going down. So, and that is, and, and I've said it before and I've, I've, you know, as I reflect on my races, whether, you know, I think Utah, uh, well, hell, Big Bear, my downhill is weak uh, and it, it's exposed every time. And I know it. And I know there's some great, uh, especially in, in the age group, some great downhill and uphill runners. So, you know, for me, I, I have to put in that plan. Um, I know where the downhills are at because I'm going to study the map. And uh, so there's some things I need to do uh, to create a gap, if you will. So I can mitigate uh, that inability to to run very quick downhill. But no, that is a that's a weakness. Absolutely, it's the single hardest thing to prep for. You can simulate uphill in the gym, yeah. and with a treadmill and with stairs. Downhill, you can do certain things, but there's no replacing the real thing, yeah. is there? Yeah, true. So I'm hoping my next duty station, uh, as much as I love beautiful Florida and, and this environment, and you can train outside, you know, pretty much all year round, but maybe the next location affords me an opportunity to hit some downhills and strengthen that part of my game. You put in a request for Ford Carson every week? Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know where you could go? Do you have any idea? Yeah, the way it works, um, I'll get a list of opportunities, assignments, uh, but that's still a few months out and I'll rank order them, you know, with all the other officers who are, you know, it's time for them to move and, you know, we'll see what we get. So I'll have an idea, but you're not going to know until, uh, you know, that the branch manager sends you your assignment said, here's where you're going. Will terrain factor into your, if you have a choice, like a priority or is it just, you'll just get one option and that'll be it? No, I mean, uh, you know, I'll have the, those, they'll probably be about 15 or 20, some of them in Korea, Korea Australia. Yeah. So there's some, obviously uh, being a little selfish, uh, yeah, I, you know, want to stay stateside um, as much as possible because uh, this will be my last tour before I retire. Uh, so this next duty station, uh, you know, that's going to be it. So um, yeah, so there's going to be a few things that come into play, you know, you know, family, friends, uh, you know, lifestyle, uh, you know, so yeah, we'll just have to wait to see what those positions are available and we'll go from there. How far up the list does OCR training fall when you make that decision? You know, it, it's pretty high. Uh, you know, this being, I, I, you know, most of my career, uh, I've always sacrificed everything, you know, relationships, uh, everything that is for the military, rightfully so. That, that, that's that been a choice. Um, and now I'm getting a little more, uh, I hate to say it, but a little more selfish. You know, I love obstacles racing. I know I want to continue doing this, uh, you know, once I retire. and. You know, in three years, uh, I'm, I'm retiring. So, um, yeah, it, it is important because it's something, you know, I got some some things I, I would love to do once I retire that, that obviously deals with Spartan and being part of that. So where are you going to retire to? I don't know. We'll have to see. Um, like I said, family-wise, uh, friends-wise, it may unfortunately be, uh, you know, tentatively the D.C. area of Virginia. Um, and then eventually I'm going to keep my place down here and then, uh, you know, eventually come back down here and you know, live for good. It's, uh, it's great opportunities. Right. Are you married or have kids or anything? No, nope, cool. not married, no kids. No. So that won't factor in. You'll go back to your your family, whoever that is, siblings or parents or whatever that is. Yeah, you know, you know, relationship, you know, girlfriend, so uh, who may have a, a really good job uh, hmm. up in Virginia area. So need to shape that uh, opportunity being geographically uh, distanced, uh, you know, can be a challenge sometimes. So I may, that's got a factor. One thing that stands out about you is that uh, your mindset 
is as strong as your as your work ethic that that your prep that you're putting in isn't only physical and i think that that's one of the people talk about how do you how do you get by as a low mileage athlete and in the endurance world and one of the ways is yeah you you can be low mileage but high volume and i would say that you're more in that camp where you get your volume in it's just not all running the second is that you have to be willing to hurt and you, and it seems to me that you're a, a mindset kind of guy. So uh, t- talk a bit about that. What do you do in your training? Obviously, your job, your occupation is geared around being mentally dialed in. But what else do you do so that you are mentally race ready at all times? Yeah, one of the I think there's a few things. Um, one is being prepared. You know, the, the pain cave that you are. I mean, those at the the top of their, you know, their game, whether it's age group elite or even open, you are going to be faced with some extraordinary circumstances that are mentally going to drain you. And what's great, I think about, well, well, specifically Spartan is, you know, a race that you think is difficult, you know, last month, you may hit another one and next month could be, you know, your hardest race based off terrain, weather, all of it. And you just moved your needle to endure of what you thought was hard, um, just changed. And so you have a whole new level and respect and understanding of what it takes to endure that grit. Um, and one, I think that Spartan does a great deal that I think what helps me mentally, uh, you know, prepare for races, I just, just being in the military and, and a combat arms, you know, and being in combat in multiple, uh, situations, you, you develop grit. I can lean upon those situations, uh, to know that, you know, Nothing is ever going to be as hard as that. Simple as that. Put it in perspective. It's not going to be this hard, or it may it is. I've been through some very tough races uh, where I was like, wow, am I going to make it through this? Then I can say, you know what? This is going to end. It's one more mile. It's two more miles. There's an end to this pain. Just drive through. Um, and you have this unique, you know, mentally you have this, eight, you're, you're capable and you have this unique ability. Make the most of it. Um, this is not the time to give in, you know, to those, those emotions of it's hard and, you know, poor me, um, you know, you tap into that, you know, I have both my legs, there's great adaptive athletes in OCR that anybody can reflect upon and think about. Um, I think about Casey, you know, he's a double amputee. We see him out there at Spartan all the time. You know, I remember seeing him at Tahoe. Uh, he started, I think it was in 18 first with the elite and ended, I was there at the restaurant, uh, you know, at 22, at 10 o'clock at night. He went through the whole thing. So when I look at, you know, those individuals who have a reason to complain or making excuses and don't, I have no ability or reason to, to complain, just get through it. So, you know, some different things that that's, uh, I think that's helpful to tap into. Do you program in mental toughness workouts and days intentionally? Um, I think, yes, I'll, there's wads that I know when I'm laying it out on the calendar, I'm like, this one is going to suck. Why I could, you know, do I really need to do this? I'm, I'm six weeks out. Is there a reason I just did this one three weeks ago? And that's when I say, no, yes, it's going to suck. It's going to grind. But that is a reason that I want to hit that level of that threshold of, of pain and suck factor. Um, that's going to do me good. It's going to translate, you know, out on the course, um, you know, not only physically, but that it's that mental piece, that grind. And you get through it. You, if you, you know, you will get through it, um, you know, it's just one more round, two more rounds, whatever the case may be. Um, but yeah, there are definitely workouts that I lay on the calendar. I'm like, man, this is going to suck, but uh, you got to do it. You got to do it. Let's talk about those staple workouts, Cole. Yeah. Uh, we like to talk tangibles here. 
what are some of your go-to when you know you're really ramping up ones that you can determine where your fitness is at off of? I'm sure you have a few that you continue to go back to. What, what are those? Yeah. Um, one, this, a lot of my workouts, I think I make them so they're modular, if that makes sense. So I can add and decrease. So maybe it's, it's push-ups. Well, I can make it harder by doing, you know, um, hand release or adding a weight vest. Or if it's walking lunges, I can add weights or no weight, depending on where I'm at. If it's a recovery week, I'm, I'm going to take the sandbag off and do those lunges without. So I really have a bunch of workouts where it's modular. And, and so I can, yeah, adjust them as needed. Um, uh, one of the ones I, I really love going to, and, and I've had a, a few friends, you know, come here to, to Tampa and train with me a few times is it's a really good one. It's that compromised running, if we will, if, with OCR work. Um, and it's six or seven rounds. Um, and it starts with uh, 21 sandbag uh, lunges uh, and immediately come back into 22. So everything's on 22, you know, elevated pushups back into 22 um, sandbag air squats. Uh, and again, your weight's going to be dependent on where you're at. You know, I usually uh, 40 to 60 pounds and you know, nonstop work um, immediately into four tire flips, depending on what tire you have, 10 burpees and get up and do a 400, repeat that six to seven times. Now, what's what's key is, is the 400. So I tell people, the way I train it is, I'm, it's not just, I'm not looking at uh, pace, because I'm gonna be, the intent is the pace that I'm starting with, I wanna end with. So where I'm at in, in the season or the train up, I'm looking at miles per hour. So I want to hit, I know nine miles per hour. I don't want to hit 10 and 10 and a half if I can't hold 10 and 10 and a half on round six after all that, that being compromised. Um, and as I move through the season, you know, maybe 10 miles per hour every round is my goal. Yeah, round one and two, not not so not a big problem. Five and six, yeah, you know, you're turning yourself inside out. But the key is to hit that, that, that uh, speed. So for me, that's working and I'm trying to get that speed as soon as possible. So that's where I talk about, you know, obstacle transitions, getting out of that obstacle back to race pace. Cause I know I'm not the fastest guy on the course, but if I can speed up and hit whatever my race pace is, at least if I do that, you know, over the course of 22 obstacles, 23, those three or four or five seconds add up to a podium. So uh, yeah, that, that is a, that's one I just, I really love to do. That's a lot of work and uh, it's just, it's constant moving, never stopping. Um, yeah. Around four and five, you know, you're thinking, wow, am I going to make it through this? But uh, so that's an idea of what I call a, a kind of a compromised running. Out. Uh, what about from more of a running standpoint? Do you, yeah. what are some of your go-to, what, what's maybe your biggest go-to testing run workout? So uh, for me on a week, I liked uh, for me Mondays, you know, Wednesday would be that interval. We just talked about Thursday is another run. And then clearly on Saturdays, my longer run. So Mondays, generally speaking, I like to do where I'm working tempo or speed work. So that's going to be a variety. And I'm going to rotate those through for um, variations. So it could be tempo. It could be fartlek. So, you know, half a mile warm up into, and for me, uh, you know, 210 on, two minutes, 10 on, two minutes off, 210. I'm looking at a certain pace, you know, 550 each one, whatever the case may be. Now, I may not have started at 210. I may have started at 150, depending on where I'm at in the year. Uh, but, you know, obviously moving that time uh, on, if you will. Uh, so that for six, seven miles. Um, so that ends up being eight or nine rounds of 210 on, you know, two off and then a cool down. Another one would be just, uh, you know, a six, seven mile and doing tempo runs in between there. So uh, one mile is warm up, then one mile tempo, whatever that is. 
a recovery, a little faster than a recovery, mile three, back on tempo on mile four, do that again on mile five, and then the last mile, 800's on, 800 recovery. So that's an idea uh, of, of a, a Monday run that I'll spice it up, you know, change it up on days. Why 210? Well, Is that where you were going, Bracken, 210? That, that was the first question, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, you know, 210 puts for my pace at, you know, a 555 pace, that's roughly, you know, 0.35 of a mile. So I'll sometimes do half miles too, you know, half mile on 400 recovery, uh, you know, for tempo. And it just, I'm working just time on feet. So uh, I may have started at a minute 50, moved up to two, two minutes on, two minutes off. And then just slowly 210, where eventually I'll 230 on, you know, with a two minute recovery. So, you know, progression, you know, I'm moving that through uh, depending on where I'm at you know, in the season. Yeah. So I you like- would try to hold, yeah, you try to hold the same pace at 150 when you're doing 150 intervals as you would at 230. It's the same pace, but extending that out over a further duration. So the 230 would be, I would call that on pace. So, for, so <clears throat> five, whatever it may be, 550. And then that, Two that two minute recovery is that that's a recovery. Um, so I'm dropping it down for usually I'm looking at heart rate. I want my heart rate to drop into the 130s, 135, 139, because it's amped up to you know 158, 162. And I want to see that good 30 drop, and it usually rough. It takes anywhere from a minute and a half, you know, to two minutes uh, to get it fully down, and then light it back up. You weren't joking before or exaggerating when you say you like to move in and out of speeds and in and out a lot. It, it seems to be not only in the entire focus of what you want to do on a race day, but you back that up in training or even your run days, you're ramping in and out of tempo and in and out of threshold. You know, you're ramping in and out of 400s. You do a lot of transitioning in and out, don't you? Uh, I would say, yeah, 60, it, it kind of just depends. I mean, there are days on Thursday, for instance, my, you know, six mile runs tomorrow, I uh, will just go out and run a good solid, steady pace, probably, you know, ideally high heart, heart zone three for me, you know, I feel really, it's just a rate of perceived exertion. So, uh, you mm-hmm. know, um, for me, it'd be a seven. I know the, the actual scale, I think goes 18 to 19, but a 70%, 75% effort. I'm going to go on that. Um, I like to really you know, work on when it's just miles and going out and running a rate of perceived exertion, because I know come Saturday, um, that's going to be the long run. And that may be a day that, uh, you know, this weekend I'm putting in, a, I'm not going to look so much at heart rate, but it may be more on a pace as opposed to just getting out and doing a long, you know, you know, time on feet. So it just kind of depends on where I'm at in the week. Um, but I would say it's, it's 50, 50 on moving in and out of, of, uh, speed. Yeah. I'd say 50, 50. I want to know, I know we hone in on you being a fantastic age group athlete. And I just want to preface this with saying you can also still be a very good elite athlete. We know this. You're choosing to go the age group route. I looked at your Instagram uh, before this, and you must be the most sponsored age group athlete that I have ever seen. Okay. I believe you have six partnerships, either sponsors or ambassador or something. Uh, How the heck does that happen, Cole? You know, you got to figure it out. Yeah. I don't know. I think one thing is I stand behind those companies that I believe in, you know, obviously sponsored by Endure Elite and, and Alt Red. Uh, we've all, you had Matt on, you know, not too long ago. Um, it's clear all someone has to do is go back to that podcast and, and, and know what a phenomenal company, um, you know, from top down and, and, and the supplement, obviously it's by athletes for athletes. Um, so it's easy. So I stand behind those products that I believe in, you know, and that goes with Alt Red. So, 
I, I, you know, I don't know what it is. Um, you, you know, ideally, I hope to be a, a positive, uh, you know, force in the sport. Um, you know, one, I'm always out to to help others any way I can. Um, and I think we just have this great community. And if I can just be, you know, one positive element within the masses, um, I think that's that's always helpful. And, and you know, uh, there are companies out there that, you know, gravitate to someone who's, you know, positive and, uh, um, you know, I think that that obviously helps their brand out as well. And I, obviously winning doesn't doesn't hurt as well. Um, but no, I'm extremely thankful to be, you know, partnered up, you know, Grid Army and BJ and, and Caterpie Laces. Yeah, those are some big names, man. There's, you know, there's a lot of elite athletes that would really kill for those sponsorships. Um, and certainly age group athletes that would consider that a dream. Uh, I want to know, what would you suggest if, if, you know, that's important for some age group athletes or even elites to, to get some help that way and support companies they love and be supported in the process. How did, how did those come to be? Yeah. For me, you know, I, I didn't reach out to, to any one of those companies. Uh, one probably cause well, I, I just didn't think I was deserving. You know, when I look at, uh, you know, the men and women to my left and right, who are you know just outperforming me, at least in my eyes, you know, at that elite level, um, you know, I, I wasn't about to reach out because again, for me, uh, it just didn't think that, uh, you know, I would be something they were interested. So, uh, one, if I'm a believer of a product and I'm going to use it, um, then I'm going to let them know. Uh, and that's by with social media, we have this great opportunity to, to tag them, let them know, um, give them feedback, uh, whether it's reviews um, and tell them how, why you like the product. And, you know, the other one, there's there, you know, usually yearly, there's uh, an open ambassadorship that normally happens in November, December with a lot of those companies I'm affiliated with. And uh, you submit your application and you got it. You got to be natural. You know, you, it's not which you can't want something, right? You got to, what can you do for that, that company? Um, and if you're being genuine, I think that goes a long way, but, uh, you know, the key is just go ahead and submit your application and you know, be genuine about it. And, uh, obviously you should be using that product, but it's not about, don't come into it thinking, what can I get out of this company? Because that may work in the, in the short period of time, in the long run. Um, that's obviously not going to be the best strategy. Bracken, have you, um, I don't know about you, but so three of my sponsorships, uh, Mudgear, VJ Shoes, and Endure Elite, I use their products first, paid for their products, love their products. But I slid into all three of their DMs and was like, hey, look at me. I'm Kirk. I think we could mutually help each other here. Uh, and it's just really, it's very endearing to hear that, like, you did it. I'm going to call maybe even the right way by sh promoting a product that you you believed in and and they appreciated that and took you on board. Makes me feel a little silly with my DM slide-ins on my end. <laughs> no, I, I think that, that that's another way too. But, you know, you are also obviously you're bringing a, another component to that. You know, a very high-level athlete, you know, a you know coach. I mean, you're, you're you know, I, I'm just the, the regular guy, right? So, um, you know, for me, uh, it, it was just maybe the way I am. It was just kind of going about it a, a different way. But uh, you obviously, you all bring different perks and advantages to a, to a company that, uh, you know, they would love to have. So, uh, yeah, no, that, that was just the way, I, you know, I did it. It's not necessarily the right way. But. I see a lot of similarities between our sport and triathlon. And one of them is that the age group in triathlon is almost as powerful as the pro field. And that you have top end age groupers who generally make the leap up to pro after a while. But the other is that the top end age group athletes in triathlon out earn the mid-tier pros a lot of the time. And, I, and I, we're starting to see that here, at least with sponsorships, that a company gets more out of getting you out on course with their gear and having your audience 
who the every man looking like, well, it works for him where, you know, Kirk, you know, maybe they're just, they came to him and said, we'll pay you to use it. But Cole, Cole's using it because man, he's 48 like me and it works for him. And and there's some value to that. So it's, it's cool to see that you're just representing it the right way, because a lot of times in triathlon, you'll get guys who will pimp any product in order to help fund their sport because it's even more expensive than our sport. Sure. But you're just doing what you believe in and what works for you. And then the people that do follow you do get a quality product for the right reason rather than just because someone threw some dollars at me or some promo codes. Yeah, no, I think that makes exact sense. Yeah. There's a flip side to this though, in that triathlon has a huge age group drug problem. And we don't have to get too far into this, but I'm curious to hear what your take is on the state of our sports age group. Um, how clean do you think it is? How prevalent do you think the use is? And do you think that it needs a change or that we're doing okay? You know, I'm probably pretty naive when it comes to one, just being in the military, you know, and, you know, we have checks. And so that's just never something uh, that's really crossed my mind, uh, one, to actually do. Uh, just because it, it, you know, it's a career killer and it's, uh, it's been a culture in the military, you know, clearly to, you know, not have banned substances in your system. So, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, I wonder, I, I'm, I'm clearly not, you know, using the banned substance and I'm able to perform you know, at a pretty high level. Um, yeah, I, I really haven't really thought of it and it's not something that I've ever heard or, you know, that anybody's ever talked about. So yeah, I, I just don't have a lot that I can speak upon that. So I, I guess okay. in my heart, I, I want to say it's not an issue, uh, but humans are humans and people want to find a way mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, get better. Um, and sometimes they think obviously, you know, for whatever the motivation is to, to use a banned substance, that's going to get them there a little quicker. Um, you know, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I would hope that uh, it, it's not an issue. Well, one, I don't know what the benefit is. You're not getting paid. You're not, you know, you're not going to make a living at the age group. Very few in the elites are going to make a living. So I don't know what you're going to get out of it besides, you know, standing on a podium and, and uh, yeah, I don't know. And maybe that, that might be enough. Maybe that's enough. Yeah, you're right. Uh, well, it's good to hear that even if it is an issue, it's not like commonplace guys are just chatting about it in the locker yeah. room. Yeah, true. Yeah, that's, that's, I've not heard anything. And, if you've ever been on a triathlon training board, you know that that's not the case there. Uh, People discuss openly what who's using what and how, like what what's my what what's the best cycle for like so if it's wow. not to that level here, that's a good sign. Yeah. Even if people are doing it, they're at least ashamed enough to keep it under wraps. Well, that I think we had just wondered because in the elite race, you know, if you bust out a big race, uh, you're going to get tested and get caught. But the age groupers, uh, it's not the case. So we had we had just wondered if maybe it was more potential potentially prevalent because it's not, it's, doesn't, nobody's going to know. Right. Nobody's going to dive in. So that was a curiosity. Um, uh, as we're nearing, uh, we're over an hour 45 here, which is fantastic. I want to just dive in real quick to your, your racing season. Then um, I, I think, you know, it's more in question than we are still led to believe, unfortunately, but what are your plans? This, what are you shooting for and what's still got you excited? Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things I do, as I said, is I, in the beginning of the year, I always lay out you know, what the schedule is and then I lay out some goals. You know, what are those goals that I want for the year? Well, we've already, uh, unfortunately, probably blown through now. We know, uh, you know, world championships aren't going to happen. But for me, um, you know, I wanted a U.S. National Series champion again, um, then Worlds, 
um, and then uh, trifecta, and then you know, but we don't know where that's going at. So all those are still you know on the calendar. I want to fo- I want to if we're allowed to travel, um, I, that's a focus area. So everything that's on the calendar for you know looking at it's really after West Virginia. I'm trying to hit uh, just because I think that's about 12 races or so that's on the calendar. Um, and especially if it's on the East coast, yeah, I'm going to it. So mm-hmm. that's Atlanta. That's, you know, obviously um, central Florida, that's uh, Carolinas. Um, yeah. Count me in. I'm there. Uh, the Dallas, if that's a go, um, you really will just have to wait and see. Um, so um, yeah, nothing, nothing's off the count. Now the other at other piece of that, planning processes, you know, being in the military, you know, we are currently restricted from, you know, doing a lot of travel in certain areas. And so that, that could play a role if uh, our restriction continues. So, you know, it, it aims to be seen. I'm going to focus first on West Virginia and then, you know, we'll see what happens after that. Um, but you got to be adaptable at, at this time. So uh, mm. I'm flexible, I'm adaptable. And, uh, you know, I, you don't, I don't stop training because there's no races. Uh, so race on or, or race off, uh, training continues and we'll be ready. You hear that, people? If you want a shot at Cole and beating him, just show up at any race that's being held, and he's going to be there. (laughs) Other than Utah, because that's the same day as West Virginia. You almost answered this, but one of my big questions I had for you is, how difficult is it for you as a military career man to get travel to these races? Are they supportive of you, or is this like you've got to bank your time and you've got to be out Friday night and back Sunday night so that things don't get in the way? Yeah. So, you know, I'm only authorized those in the military, certain amount of days leave a year. Well, so I want to hold those leaves for one, you know, family, friends, uh, you know, Tahoe, those big races, uh, you know, Trifecta World Championship. So uh, for me, uh, yeah, you know, last year I had 44 races. um, And so usually I'm getting off work at four or five o'clock. I'm going to get on that plane, you know, six, seven o'clock at night. I'll arrive at the venue midnight or the hotel midnight, one of the morning um crash out wake up 5 30 you know pre-race you know ritual race uh rinse repeat recovery do all the right things you can to prepare for sunday immediately sunday after the race within two or three hours i'm on the plane back home sunday night back at work uh you know doing it all over again so yeah so that is uh, that's usually how it goes um but once you train yourself that way, uh, you know, you're doing something you love. It is a mentality. There's some shortcuts and things that can help you, you know, be prepared. Um, yeah, I tell myself all the time, you know, sleep deprivation is just a state of mind. A lot of times, uh, you know, you're doing what you love. So uh, it's a sacrifice sometimes. You got to dedicate and you've already put the hard work in. So let's just perform. This is a, that's a great wake up call to everyone who gets thrown off if their flight's delayed or if the hotel doesn't have their favorite coffee in the morning or like, man, it might just be time to get a little bit more uncomfortable in preparation because you got to be a bit harder than that to get through these times. If you're showing up at 12, 1 a.m. to the hotel, which means you're not falling asleep anytime soon after that, it kind of makes other people's hiccups in their travel uh, pale in comparison. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, I, I think there's goodness in that. Uh, you know, one of my mantras is be, com- be, you know, comfortable being uncomfortable, and that that's going to happen in a variety of ways. And uh, you know, it just helps me. Uh, you know, it, it, yeah, it just mentally, you know, helps me prepare. I know I can perform. I've worked in, you know, uh, short amount of sleep or no sleep before. You know, there's some little tricks that you can do to, you know, at least get uh, two or three hours of sleep uh, before that race if you get in late. And, uh, you know, go ahead and execute and, you know, a race day, there are no excuses. You put the hard work in, 
um, you know, it's, it's time to perform. So, you know, leave, leave all that, you know, to the wayside. Cole, how many, uh, how many age group podiums did you make in 2019? 20, I have 46 races, eight elites. Um, uh, so I only missed one podium in, uh, age group and that was worlds, uh, came in fourth, uh, slipped off the wow. twister, twister, monkey, twister, twister. Mm, uh, my, I got a lot of people. Oh man. You know, you had John Clark and, uh, Kirk Framke, you know, they, they came to age, but they, man, and I, for my goal was just close the gap from 2018. Uh, you know, where they had me by like 20, 25 minutes, at least close that gap. And I was able to you know, close uh -huh. it by about 10 minutes. So to me, that was success. Uh, and John Clark is a, is an elite racer. Uh, and that was the one race he dropped down to race yeah, age group. He's a great guy. He is a good dude. Did you make uh, elite podiums last year? Eight, eight out of 13 races. Look at you. He's stud. And I, and I got to stand on podium with some, you know, some, uh, some dudes like Derek York, uh, mm. uh, Nick Riker. So, you know, some, some studs too. So, uh, you know, Nick's 23 years old, great guy too. I love, you know, pro team member. And here I am, you know, I was 47 standing next to him. You might've looked younger than Nick on that podium. <laughs> <laughs> I love Nick. He's yeah. an old looking 23. <laughs> <laughs> He's a great dude, man. He's yeah. great. Dude. Do you have regrets? that Spartan left Tahoe? Do you have unfinished business? Is that something you never checked? Or are you just happy to get back in your wheelhouse at Worlds? You know, well, one, that we were going to go, hopefully we we're going to go to Tahoe for the North American Championship. So it might not have been Worlds, but you'll go there. Yeah, I'm not worried. Wherever it is, you know, I'm going to prepare for that race. Um, am I worried? It, it, it is what it is. I, you know, it's it's wherever that race needs to be, I'll prepare for it. If we're going back to Tahoe, I would, I one, I enjoy it because, it's a suck fest for a lot of people. And there's a lot of people who don't perform well in that environment. Um, and maybe I didn't perform my best, but I know I can endure. And I, I just enjoyed that, that level of suck. You know, I don't know why it is, but uh, th there's something to that, uh, you know, seeing some people uncomfortable, I, I, that motivates me. Uh, it always really has, whether it's been in, you know, Ranger School or on a road march and people have their head down and they're dragging. It's like, no, this is my time to attack. So, um, no, so yeah, what a big deal. It's wherever that race is going to be. I'll, I'll be prepared for it. I have, I have one last question and then I am, I'm very satisfied. This has been a great interview. Um, I want to talk pacing, Cole. I want to talk pacing for this reason. Um, I think more people look up to you than you realize. I think there's more people that have you, like I said, on their dartboard than they have a lot of elites. Uh, that's a compliment. <clears throat> so for perspective for these people, and if you don't know, you don't know, but where do you think you're at if you were to mile time trial, 5k time trial, and what pace do you think you could hold if you went out and ran hard for an hour? I just think people need something to aspire to. We got a lot of messages, Cole, when we, we made an apology about talking about fast pacing and, and not trying to, you know, pat ourselves on the back. And, and we just, and we got a lot of messages that said, no, please give us those pacings because we want something to aspire toward. So could you tell us maybe where you're at with some of that stuff? Yeah. Um, last November, I ran here uh, a turkey trot where you ran um, a 5K, a one-miler, and a 10K all, you know, back-to-back. -back. You had like 20-minute break mm. in between. And I had a 510 uh, one-miler. Um, and mm. so I, I don't normally just go out and run just a one-mile. So uh, that's something I can reflect. That was November. Um, my fastest 5K, which was also uh, last year, was – an 1805, uh, 1805 okay. and 10K, which was also last year, the, the hot chocolate was a 39.48. So I think that was roughly a 6.11, I think, came out to a 6.11, 10K. Okay. Half marathon fastest. It's been a few years since I ran half marathon, uh, 119, three years ago it was. So, 
Yeah. So, you know, mile, yeah, it's five ten. Uh, yeah. That, that, that's definitely, I was turning me inside out uh, for sure. But I, you know, with, with training, I, I just don't think it benefits me to train to a, a one miler. I, I know I could get faster if I just train for one mile, but um, for me, it's just not beneficial to what I'm trying to do to yeah, train, put the effort in to get a, a fast, you know, but yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. It sounds like you can hold a high percentage of your capability though. Like your 5k to your 10k, I would say your 10k would be the most impressive because you held a large percentage of that ability through 10k. So sounds like your ability to grind is pretty solid, huh? I hope so. I mean, that I train for that, right? You know, especially on my on my long runs. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm putting in those blocks in there because um, I think it's important. One, I want to know what that effort feels like because when I get on the race, depending on where I'm at, uh, I know what that perceived effort and how long I can hold it because um, that's part of my strategy when I'm looking at the course. Uh, okay, I know I can hold this effort. Um, there will be a recovery at this point. Here, I need to you know hold that effort. So it's important to me to train to those very tough efforts so I can apply that at a race. Cole, I have no questions left. You've been an open book. I appreciate that. But what I do have is a thank you. Uh, Kirk and I talk about this a lot, but I'm going to reiterate it. We get so much out of hosting this podcast. And what I took out of yours um, specifically to you is that we get blinded by our own bias and our own experiences. And you seem like the perfect example of someone who benefited from not being a high school and collegiate cross-country runner, where you were willing to learn you put in the time, you've gleaned knowledge from different sources, but you came to it for, with an outsider's perspective and you realize this is not just a running race, this is an OCR race. And you do not train the way I would have programmed a training cycle for you had I come in from the outside. And I think that's good because it reminded me that while we have to train a certain way for pure running races, there are multiple ways to skin this OCR cat. And you do things that I just don't naturally do, but they've piqued my interest to research them further. And so I really like your outsiders, outside the running spectrum, you know, perspective, because it forces us to constantly reevaluate what we do know. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I do too. I, 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 got, I don't care if anyone listens to this podcast. I got something out of this one. So it was worth my time. Awesome. Yeah. Anybody you want to uh, thank or just give your sponsors one last shout out or people supporting you? Yeah. You know, a big shout out to, uh, we said Endure Elite uh, and Alt Red, you know, Nicole Miracle is one of the athletes on the, the elite team uh, sponsored. Uh, Kona Ice as well. Uh, that's really, most people don't know what Kona Ice is, but you probably see the little uh, shaved ice cream truck at the uh, Spartan venues. But uh -huh. uh, yeah, Kona Ice, old Seminole. Uh, they, and then of course, you know, Caterpie, um, uh, VJ shoes. I uh, can't say enough about those. And, uh, and grid army, uh, premium compression socks are great little, uh, company here in Florida that, uh, developed socks, uh, just from doing OCRs and found out, you know, they wanted to make a little bit different sock, but they've been a great supporter and supplying me with, uh, you know, compression socks from, you know, calf high ankle all the way to a full calf. So thanks to all them. And, and really a big shout out to you too, just for, you know, yeah, I think there was a, a, a gap that was needed to be filled and y'all filled it with spades and uh, phenomenal content for everybody from every spectrum from open all the way to the elites. There's always something to learn. And I, I appreciate y'all, uh, you know, putting in the dedication of the hard work, putting this all together. Thank you. I appreciate Thank that. You. We're blushing over here. <laughs> yep. Um, and where can, you know, where can people find you? I know uh, when I peeped your Instagram, uh, I'm now going to give you a follow. 
uh, which we hadn't before, but it's because you put out really good stuff and you put out motivational, inspirational, level-headed stuff on your Instagram. What's your handle and where can people find you there? Yeah, Instagram, uh, JC DeRosa, and that's D-R-O-S-A. I, I removed the E there. I just uh, So yeah, um, same thing at uh, Facebook. Um, yeah, and that, that's uh, that's where it's at. Perfect. It's, too easy. it's cliche. It gets thrown around, but but we we appreciate having you on, and we really do appreciate you serving this great country of ours. Thank you. So thank you for that. It's an honor and a privilege. It really is. Thank you, August.